Good morning, Menlo Church. So glad that you are here with us from all of our campuses in Saratoga, Mountain View, Menlo Park, San Mateo. And really what it feels like is that we are all at our newly launched Seattle campus. So uh, thanks for being here. Uh, This is like a storm shelter at this point. This is pretty wild, but uh, we are so glad that you've chosen to join us. Uh, for really a conversation that we started at the beginning of the year uh, that we're calling Wired for Wonder, where our hope is that as we together experience and understand a little bit more about how big and incredible and loving God is, um, even if it's been a long time for you, it can expose us to a new way of living, even as we continue on in our year together. With all this focus that we've placed on this transcendent God, that he has cosmic power and scale beyond anything that we can imagine, it's no wonder that there is a version of our faith uh, that helps us think about and understand that sometimes there's a, a level of faith that we place in God that is beyond our answers, that's beyond having it all figured out. And uh, hopefully that's been a part of this series for you. Having faith in most people means that we trust a person that we can see. Having faith in God often means that we trust someone we can't always see in our life and yet we trust him anyway. Faith in God for you and me is really important. And sometimes I think that we can have this false choice in the way we think about faith, where there is an idea that uh, if I have faith or I don't have faith, that's a choice. But I would tell you, the choice is not whether or not we have faith or don't, it's what or whom we place our faith in. And so all of us have faith. It's, it's in hopes, right, that when we face adversity or we face tragedy or we have something exciting happen in our life, that we have something or someone to depend on and walk us through it. And, and for you, maybe you're feeling like, what is my faith in today, right? You've, you're wondering in the midst of what you're going through. And I'm going to pray for us in just a second uh, that God would show us that. And if you've never been here before, never heard me speak, I pray kneeling. And the reason that I do that in part is because I'm just humbly asking God to move in lives just like yours. People who are maybe discouraged, disheartened, wondering if God even cares about what you're going through and facing today. So would you pray with me? God, thank you so much. Thank you that no matter what we're going through today, we can trust you. Thank you that uh, no matter what's waiting for us in the week ahead, we can trust you that you've already gone ahead of us. You're there waiting for us. You know the bigger plan. And God, we can trust you with it. God, would you help us even today to grow our faith, to understand maybe in a new way what it looks like to do that. It's not static, God. It's something you wanna grow and develop in each and every one of us. Would you do that even right now? It's in Jesus' name, amen. Now, maybe for some of you, a couple seconds ago when I said we all have faith you felt like, well, I'm not sure I actually believe that. I think that at the end of the day, there are times in my life where I don't really have faith. Or there's people that I, like, I know, they're just not faith people, they're facts people, or they have some other sort of moniker to associate with how they think about life. And, and I would say, again, we are all faith people. We all place our faith in something. Some of those things that we place our faith in, by the way, are small. They seem even kind of petty, but we all have faith. One of the things that I place faith in in my life, and I bet you do too, is a good warranty. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you never have to use it, but when you purchase a product and you find out that it comes with a warranty, there's something comforting about that because you think to yourself, if I need it, it will be there. 
When I was traveling recently, the overhead bin in a plane that I was traveling on, it was full. And so I had to take my overhead bag that I was going to put up there, and I had to check that bag to pick up where we were going, which, you know, not a big deal. I cried for a minute, but it was fine. I just sent it on its way. And we got to where we were going, and I got my bag. Everything was fine, except that, get ready for tragedy, they had broken the handle on my uh, carry-on bag. Now, I could have gotten another bag from the airline probably. It wasn't a huge deal. But this bag had some sentimental value to me. I've used this bag for years. I trusted this bag. I liked this bag. And the good news is this bag came with a lifetime warranty. Now, I had never had to use that warranty before, but I had always trusted that when I needed it, I could call the company and they would take care of me. And so sure enough, after some back and forth, they sent me some parts to repair my bag. And if you know me at all, you know a bag repair person is not like top of my resume. Um, but I'm here to tell you, I figured it out. I actually did put my bag, together, bag back together in mostly the same form that it was before it was broken. So it's functional now. It's pretty amazing. Maybe you have a story like that. Or maybe for you, it didn't end quite so happily ever after. But faith is one of those things that we don't really know how much we have until it's tested. We don't really know how confident we are in who or what we trust in until we have to trust it. And actually, the quality of our faith is often revealed in the tests and the trials that we face. I know that for many of you, your faith is being tested right now. And examining your faith, it actually may feel painful to you over the next few minutes. But I hope that our time together is always hopeful. I hope that it's never shameful, that God is always showing you that no matter what you're in the middle of, no matter what you're facing right now, no matter what was in the week behind you or the week ahead of you, that God is with you. That this time in our place together, it helps us be faithful and it doesn't feel futile because God is with you. Faith is so important. As a matter of fact, in uh, the classic work, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, he framed faith this way. He says, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. It's a good definition. We live in a moody culture, don't we? Trends have never come and gone faster. Today's Stanley water bottles will be tomorrow's live, laugh, love signs. Like there is no doubt in my mind. And if you have a live, laugh, love sign in your house and you love it, I'm so happy for you. But if our souls are left unattended in the storm of our cultural current, then our faith will likely just follow that current faith fad too. And we will find ourselves moving with the winds rather than staying anchored in who God has called us to be. But it doesn't have to be this way. Even if you are new or newer to faith, there is something so good and hopeful about faith if we are intentional about it. And Habakkuk, he helps us see that faith is the divine muscle of your life. And so the question I'm going to ask you, is yours growing or shrinking? If your faith is not some static moment in time decision, but it's actually a muscle that's core to you, are you growing that muscle? We've been studying the words of Habakkuk, who's a prophet of God from thousands of years ago who reveals in his conversation with God that actually faith fuels us. God would use very difficult circumstances to bring about the peace and the justice that he's praying that Israel would experience and ultimately the salvation that Jesus offers to all of us, to the whole world. But the righteous people, they weren't the people who on the surface looked like they were doing everything correctly. There was a a different distinction that we see. In a passage that we looked at just a couple weeks ago, 
there was a verse that might have been easy to miss. But in it, God, responding to Habakkuk, says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. The contrast here is stark, right? As we look at this option, it can sometimes feel like, well, is it really either or? This binary contrast from God is the arrogance of the enemies that God would use to help bring about the justice that Habakkuk is praying for, and that God actually would use those same people later to show his justice and judgment towards in judgment. And then on the other side, you have this group of people who are actually showing their righteousness by their faith, which will lead to their eventual blessing. One will have eventual consequence. One will have eventual blessing. Neither one of them has an immediate outcome from their behavior. Neither one of them has an immediate outcome from their choices. And that immediately puts us in tension with our instincts, with the cultural current around us, because we want immediate access. We want immediate results of whatever the thing is that we're doing or thinking about. That's the culture we live in. And so we have, we have inherent suspicion that if we don't immediately have the benefit or immediately have a negative consequence, we can justify our action. If it feels like you've heard these words before, it's because these words quoted in Habakkuk, a book that many of you didn't even know existed a month ago, actually get quoted throughout the Bible. We see them three times directly quoted in the New Testament of your Bible. It becomes a a core faith framework that the righteous shall live by faith for the millennia that followed. See, it, it may seem easy to associate ourselves with the righteous and to just move on. But the word that we translate for faith here in the original language, it carries with it this sense of steadfastness, that not only do we have faith as a momentary decision, but that actually our faith, even when the storms of life come, even when we face trials and tests, our faith stays solid. The idea was that faith would continue to fuel the righteous person even when it wasn't convenient or culturally accepted. See, the Babylonian rule that the Israelites would have to live through would be unthinkably difficult. And it would have been way easier to just go with the flow, to leave faith of the previous generation behind. God would understand, right? It would be so much easier to just adopt the views and the values of the cultural around you and say, God, you get it. We just need to change our faith a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit. We need to go along to get along. Obviously, we have no idea what that feels like. But for the Jewish people, thousands of years ago, this would have been so hard. I think we do know what that feels like. The value of living a countercultural faith in a culture that wants nothing to do with it, it was the challenge of the Jewish people then, and it's the challenge that we share today. For them, uh, Orthodox Jew, they would have uh, a whole bunch of attributes that would have been impossible to hide. From eating a kosher diet, to specific guidelines for their wardrobe, to their weekly schedule, to special holidays, just a few of the ways that their faith in Yahweh, their one true God, would have made life under the radar very difficult, if not impossible. So before you excuse yourself from this conversation, before you go check, I'm good, I am in the righteous crowd, here's my question. How does your life fueled by faith show up in your daily decisions? I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, most people in our life who are pretty close to us that don't know we're Christians would be surprised to find out we were. We are what I like to call secret agent Christians. 
I came up with all the verses in the Bible that condone being a secret agent Christian, and I found out there are none. What it means for us to be thoughtful witnesses is core to what it means to walk out, even in culture that wants nothing to do with God. I think that a lot of our faith is conditional on God doing what we want, when we want him to do it, and how we want him to do it. And if he doesn't, our faith takes a hit. This kind of fictional faith, it only works in the fantasy of our imaginations. We can only trust God to the extent that he meets our expectations or understanding. And in that case, God is actually bending his will to ours. Faith isn't fueling our lives. Our own fantasies and imagination are. There's a term that's been coined for this problem sometimes. It's called the Christian atheist. There is a condition that is worse, actually, than the arrogance that God is warning Habakkuk about. It's the ignorance that sometimes we can live with a version of faith that looks the part but lacks the most important part. First century leader and church planter, the apostle Paul, he he calls out this very problem this way. He says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. And if you're like a parent in here, you can just say amen, it's fine. Uh, Ungrateful, unholy, uh, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of good or lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, we instantly feel a little bit of a problem in that, right? If we really avoided everybody like that, we would be pretty lonely. Some of us we couldn't we couldn't associate with ourselves. There is something in us that we, we read a list like that and go, uh-oh, and Jesus says, come on back. But Paul is warning his young protege, Timothy, about, a, about what people will look like when things get worse around him. And the punchline is that there will be great rationalization, but not great maturity. Good excuses, but not a good exercise of humble dependence on God. And it will become normative, even in the church. That's the context that Paul is writing to Timothy about. So what role is faith playing in your daily life right now? One of the biggest reasons for resolutions failing early in the year is that we try to make them additive. We had a pretty full December and we think, I know what will be good in January, I'll just add more things. You didn't have room for more things in December, you don't have more room for things in January, so when you get tired of being overworked, you just stop doing the new things. And one of the great ways, the better way really, to try new things and to implement faith in your life is to find ways where it can be really swapped out for things you're already doing, less additive and more supplemental. And I wonder for you, how does it look to do that? I've heard from a few of you over the course of the last week that after talking about worship last week, you experienced worship even in the service differently than you had before. And heading into this week, you carried with you a sense that you could access God, that actually worship could be this incredible weapon God gave you for a worrying world at war and singing to God on your way to work, singing to God as you took a walk, listening to even the song that Menlo just put out or worship music, it, it helped you connect with God in a brand new way. And maybe for you, it's, it's more about How do I swap out some of what I'm currently doing for what it means to align and connect with God? I'm going to change what I listen to in the car. I'm going to change what I listen to on that walk. I'm going to change what I'm reading. It's not that I'm going to do more. I'm going to do different. Maybe for some of you, the challenge is deeper. You know that there is something fueling you that's on that list that Paul just gave us. And you've been able to keep it under wraps, but not under control. 
You look the part of a Christian, but your life, especially your inner life, needs help. I want to use part of our final message in this series to say that you haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much. There's going to be a prayer team available at the end of our uh, time together that would love to pray for you and teams of people that would love to help you find a next step and get care with, for whatever you're in the middle of. They'd be honored to listen to what you are facing right now because there is a lie that is self-perpetuating in the way we face challenges in our life. This is the lie. I've gone too far. I've been gone too long. I've done too much. And therefore, God doesn't love me. And then we feel shame. And once we feel shame, we run back to the exact same vices that left us empty before. And the cycle just continues over and over and over again. That cycle is a lie. It's it's a lie. And it doesn't remove faith from you. It just relocates faith to something that can't help. That cycle over and over and over again, it convinces you that faith can't help you, but it's actually that faith's in the wrong thing. Let me give you one more tool maybe to change your faith focus this week because you really are wired for faith. We all are. Some of us get scared that faith is going away in our cultural moment. I don't think that's even possible. I think for us, it's about where we are placing our faith individually and collectively that I have bigger concerns about. But consider this, where you direct your attention is where, where you direct your affection. That wherever the focus inside of your mind is, that's actually where my heart is moving to. We don't want this to be true. We want to be able to say things like, I can handle that. I can watch that. I can read that. I can consume that. It won't affect me. But it will way more than you think it will. As a matter of fact, growing up, there was this like kind of trite little phrase. I bet you could finish it with me. Garbage in. Right, and, and I think, you know, many of us, we grew up in, a, in a, a culture and maybe a faith tradition where that got pushed to the extreme and we had uh, kind of these like purity tests of certain things. But I think some of us, we have swung the pendulum too far the other way. See, the thing is, what we consume ourselves with will consume our minds and our hearts if we're not careful. The Bible's been telling us this for millennia and neuroscience actually underscores this exact same idea. The reticular activating system is a bundle of nerves at your brainstem that helps take all the inputs of our day-to-day life, and it directs our moment-to-moment decisions, even instinctively. We don't even mean for it to. It's just happening at a neurological level. See, growing your faith, it might take changing what you give your attention to, not just adding more, but choosing different. So if faith is the direction of our trust, and faith is the divine muscle of your life, again, is yours growing or shrinking? Maybe today is the first time you ever thought about faith that way. For you, it was a light switch. It was either on, I have faith, or it was off. And I'm telling you, we all have faith. So how do we grow this muscle in our life? It's a question that's really challenging to answer no matter what season or stage of life you're in. Here's why. This is the way we all want this answer to go. We all want the answer to be that God using a slow and steady progression of an easy and comfortable life is just up and to the right with your life. That's what we all want. And God uses every part of your life. So if things are going well for you, I'm so glad God can use that. But really the primary area that we see God grow our faith most that we're about to see in the text is that faith grows in the fight. Not in giving up or running away when things get difficult, but continuing to let God grow your muscles of faith. 
Not too long ago in our world, you would see people who would work at the same place, the same job for decades. And with it, there came this promise of a pension or long-term security or the ability to provide for their family. And it was worth the weight of navigating conflict. It was worth the bureaucracy or the frustration that came with that specific job. Fast forward, and now we have actually changed the language that we used to use to describe careers. What was once described as a career ladder from role to role to role within the same company is now called the career lily pad, where people jump from job to job for a little bit of extra money or a little bit of extra flexibility. And actually, we aren't navigating multiple jobs all the time. Many times we're, we're juggling whole new careers. Now, I know that I'm talking to a group of people in Silicon Valley, the home of high-tech hopping. I get it. And many have recently had to leave a job, not because you chose to, but because you were laid off. And I want to be very sensitive to that and not paint with too broad a brush. But I think this change in our culture is worth noting. According to Gallup, millennials, a generation for which I am a part, average 2.7 years per job. I I said this last service and I've already gotten texts like, that's not going to be you, right? Feel like that was a, yeah, yeah, you're good, you're good. But it's not even just that they leave for another job. Some are leaving for an entirely new career. That's actually three times the rate of previous generations. And that is already having and will have a lasting impact in our world for years to come. The marriage rate is down. The birth rate is down. We are increasingly in a moment where it is easier to change the subject than face the suffering that might come with pressing into the difficult things that we're facing today. Now, if you're in the midst of a dangerous home life or an abusive relationship, I grew up in dangerous conditions, and I want to just say to you, we want to help today. Ask for help today. We want you to get out of a dangerous situation. But I think for many, that's not the challenge for us. I think for many, it's just easier to flee the obstacles than fight in the trial. As a matter of fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he gives us a way to think about the fight in the tests and trials that come our way which can be a very challenging reminder to the most mature Christians among us. James put it this way in the first century in a letter that he writes to a group of Jewish converts to Christianity who have spread across the ancient world in the first century. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Like I said, it's not the fight plan that any of us were hoping for. It's not the workout regimen of the muscle of faith that we want God to use to grow in us. And at face value, it can feel kind of heartless, right? You're like, James, help us out, man. Really just like have joy about this? Easy for you to say, not helpful. But if you were with us last week, we talked about how we are wired for joy, and how joy is different from happiness. See, the biggest difference is that it isn't a condition of our circumstances. Joy is a condition of our heart. We can choose joy even when we wouldn't choose our circumstances because we know who the God of our circumstances is. Here's the pattern that James gives us and this group of early Jewish converts to following Jesus. This idea that we can choose joy in our trials 
not just on their own, but because we know they create steadfastness, that there is something God is doing in your life, even if you wouldn't have signed up for it. And over time, God is going to grow this divine muscle of faith in your life, that all those areas in your life that you think, you know what, I know that there's some areas of my life, God, that you don't have control of right now. You're not the Lord of my finances. God, you don't have control of this relationship. You don't, you don't really have access in my workplace, God. And the way that God gains access to those areas of our life that we often don't want to give him is that he brings trials to those areas of life we can't get through without him. See, those are the ways that God stretches and grows us. And so if that's the pattern that James gives us, I wonder for you, where are you stopping your faith workouts and letting those muscles atrophy in you. Let me surface just a couple questions to consider to help see where it might be happening. For you, maybe it's answering the question, what is the longest relationship in your life that is still close? I don't mean like, who are you still friends with on Facebook from someone you went to high school with? That's not what I'm asking. Who is it that you still stay in touch with regularly from decades ago? Do you have that person? Or is sort of the, the longest, the maximum time you have a relationship, always just a few years. And there's always a reason, and usually it's not your fault, right? There's always a reason why those relationships have to just keep getting reset and keep getting reset and keep getting reset. What's the longest you've worked or lived in one place? Maybe for you, every couple years, even in a transient place, especially in a transient place like Silicon Valley, every couple years, you found yourself with the itch to move on, and you just kept doing it every couple years, just kept moving on, kept moving on, kept moving on especially if you grew up doing this, it can be very easy for those childhood patterns to replicate into your adult life. I mean, I wonder for you, what's the, uh, what's the longest you've ever um, had a spiritual practice in your life that you've continued to pursue God with? Or is it that every week or every month or once a year, you find yourself trying to kind of recreate and come up with something because the last one didn't work? What's the last thing that happened in your life that someone around you, they were just in a tailspin because of it, but God kept you stable through it? There was a peace that you couldn't explain. There was an endurance, oftentimes because God has brought that test or that trial to us in the past, and we watched him be faithful through it, and now we can tell someone else, look, I've experienced this. I've watched God show up. He's going to do it again. And these, are, these questions aren't silver bullets in our lives, but I think especially if you're somebody who journals, they could be a great opportunity to journal this week about where our faith workouts are getting cut short in our lives. One of the things that I want to call out is that if you've been a Christian for a while, it can feel like, God, it just feels like in my life, things are getting harder. Can I tell you a secret? That's by design. See, one of the reasons that God wants to grow our faith muscle, the reason that you have bigger and bigger muscles is not to just wear cool shirts and show off, right? It's so that the things that God brings to us as we grow and mature as Christians, we can handle more weight with him. So I hope for you, you take a moment, right? Wonder, God, what is it that you're calling me to walk out in this life that I couldn't have before? In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul, he, he begins this chapter by sharing this very idea that just like with any other muscle, we grow our faith over time to support even greater weight. That's true in our faith. This is particularly true in times of cultural turmoil. And the good news is this is not the first time in human history that we have faced that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor um, and theologian who resisted the Nazis, he put the concept this way. 
He said, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do and more in light of what they suffer. Some of you have decided that because of what you're going through, because of the challenges that you face, because of the trials in front of you, that God has forgotten you. But actually, this is hard to hear. The very trials and temptations that you think to yourself, God, how could you allow these into my life? How could you allow this test to come my way? God is using those very things because he loves you, because he's developing you, because he wants that area of your life that maybe you have yet to surrender to him to come into focus. If you've primarily thought of your workout routine as something that impacts your body and your spiritual routines as things that impact your mind, I would encourage you to ask God to show you how your spiritual workout includes the development of faith for your whole life, not just your mind. And Alyssa, in my relationship, there are many differences that make us who we are. And one of those is that if you looked in our garage, there are two kind of setups physically. There's a a big rack with a bunch of weights on it. It's very impressive. And a really fancy bike setup. And if you walked in there stereotypically, you'd be like, oh, those, those are cool weights. Phil, you use those all the time, right? Never. I never use those weights. I know it's hard to see under the jacket, but it's just not, for me, I love to ride a bike. I love to run. And I know that I should use those weights. I know that they would help me with everything else, um, but I just don't do it. There's a big difference between knowing I should and actually doing it. Alyssa spends most days in some part working on those muscles, right? Because she knows that those muscles are either going to be used or she's going to lose them. And she wants the benefit of those muscles in our life. I think that's the challenge for many of us as it relates to our faith too. For some of us, we know that spiritual training is good and helpful, but we just don't do it. See, we have faith, but our faith, it hasn't turned into action. Can I tell you a secret? Your sinful flesh and the enemy of your soul do not care what you believe. Really. They care what you believe enough to do something about. Seriously. Later on in the same letter from James, he makes this point exactly, that good theology doesn't equal good formation. He says it this way. He says, you say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without deeds is useless? pretty harsh from James, right? But it's an important call for you and me to be able to see the problem of a workless faith. Now, get me clear, our, our works don't save us, but a saving faith works. A growing faith fights. It's not just some aspect of our mind. We let God take over our lives with it. There are no mascots in the kingdom of heaven. We are all on the field. We are all in the game. We are all learning to express the compassion and conviction of Jesus through our whole lives as thoughtful witnesses of whatever God is doing in us and through us, even and especially in the areas where we're experiencing trial, testing, and pain. I want to address one more thing before we finish this series too, which is um, as we think about wonder and faith, It's easy to narrow this down to areas that we are interested in or feel most confident in, but this can make our blind spots with God even more difficult to see. We all know someone who works out really regularly, like goes to the gym all the time, but only works on their arms. You know any of these people, right? They just look like kind of cartoon characters. You're like, your legs need some of what your arms have, right? You should balance it out. 
And if every day is arm day, our arms might be huge, but our legs will be tiny. And for many of us, I think this has to do with the way we think about our faith intellectually. We could explain over and over and over again the most difficult and nuanced theological ideas, but like the one difficult relationship we have, we're avoiding because we don't really know how to show up with it, because we haven't trusted God with the same level of devotion in our minds to our emotions, to our relationships. See, for us, God wants to grow all of us through our faith. We're going to begin a new series uh, next week, and uh, it's going to focus on surrender as we prepare for Easter together. And I want to give you kind of a helpful tool around surrender if you want to get a head start. There's a book called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton that will give you exposure to some spiritual practices and rhythms in your life that maybe right now you're going, what will it look like to swap out some of my daily routine for a daily routine of more holistically pursuing Jesus? Uh, These might be some great tools for you. See, the good news is that God isn't asking you to figure this out on your own. You have found yourself in a community of people who love God and would love to include you in the work that God is doing in their life and in this community, even with what you face today. The Apostle Paul, he reminded the church at Philippi of this very idea. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So be encouraged, Menlo Church. Whatever you face today, you don't face alone. You don't have to. God is with you and God's people are here for you. Let's pray that faith could grow even in the places that are hurting today. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much. Thank you for the the gift of your people that we can come even on a rainy day. We can sit next to each other. We can look across and who knows what one another are going through. But I know this, God, that you are growing all of our faith if we'll just look to see you in the trials and the tests and the challenges and the pain. God, would you help us to see those areas of those faith muscle development points that we have neglected, those things that we've decided aren't that important, but you keep bringing up, you keep introducing challenges. God, would you help us to walk with you and walk with your people through them? Help us to see our faith as something we can grow this week. In this series, God, take with us a wonder of you that's bigger than we had before. Don't let the end of this series be the end of that focus in our lives. Even as we think about this in communion in just a moment, God, would you remind us of your death, your burial, your resurrection on our behalf and the power that it still holds today. It's in Jesus' name, amen.